That night, my father had locked her into her room for her own safety. Perhaps for mine as well. But she begged me to help her, told me how much she needed me, how much she needed my help. And this is the part I've spent my whole life trying not to remember. I thought I was saving her. So after he fell asleep, I let her out, you see. If only I had left that door closed, she might have become an old woman. I used to imagine seeing her older, offering me a cup of tea, and asking for a chat. Strange new takes. I'm your host Notch Garnick, and with me pointing lasers so everyone knows where we're facing are <laughs> Bill Boywad and Emily Bowen Marlar. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we're covering season two, episode nine of Star Trek Picard: Hide and Seek. This is the part where I say follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, do tell your friends about our podcast. We always appreciate getting new listeners, and do us a solid. Go into the rating section of whichever podcast app you use and give us a five-star rating. That might be Apple Podcasts, might be something else. It really helps us appear a little bit higher when people search for a Star Trek podcast to listen to. Spoiler warning. <clears throat> we're, needless to say, going to spoil the episode that we're talking about today, but might also spoil anything else in the Star Trek canon or even other shows like Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> Here's a spoiler. Jerry leaves all of his partners. He can't stay with anybody. <laughs> what? <laughs> For, like, really petty reasons? Yeah, yeah. Who knew? Who knew, right? Uh, all right. Well, as Emily mentioned before, today we're discussing the ninth episode of the second season of Star Trek Picard, Hide and Seek. It first aired on 28th April 2022. It was written by Matt Okamura and Chris Derrick and directed by Michael Weaver. The in-universe date is 2024 and with flashbacks from the 2310s. Well, technically they'd be flash-forwards, but really they're flashbacks for Picard. So uh, we'll just go with it. Here's the episode summary from Memory Alpha. Picard and his crew fight for their lives as they come under attack from a new incarnation of an old enemy. But to survive, Picard must fight the ghosts of his past. Seven and Rafi have a final showdown with Girardi. Nothing about Rios having, like, a final kiss with Teresa? Come on, y'all. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's the episode summary. We always start our episodes with our strange new takes. Which of you has a strange new take for me? Okay, I can jump in first. Um, so I've always wondered how, like, okay, surnames usually come from, like, places, like physical locations or um, occupations, right? So, like, Smith mm -hmm. is... Uh, Smith, like a blacksmith or whatever. Um, and so it makes me wonder how like surnames like Abbott and Bachelor become surnames, right? <laughs> um, and, like really, how, you know, what's the story there? And I learned actually that um, 
In England, Abbott was a common surname given to kids that were like dropped off at churches as babies. Ah. So that answers that one. But these bachelor people, you know, I, I mean, you go by bachelor, but I think the story is a little bit more complicated than that because, uh, you know, we can tell that <laughs> uh, you ended up procreating. So uh, anyway, um, for this episode, uh, I, I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but I think really the kind of the back half of the season has been weaker, um, which happened in season one of Picard. And, you know, maybe that's just kind of the deal with, you know, Akiva Goldsman or whatever, but, um, it's, you know, it hasn't been like terrible. I'm not completely disappointed, but I, I am, you know, somewhat disappointed. Okay, let's see. Well, my strange new take for life would be it's so sad when medicine doesn't like actually make a difference. My poor kid has majorly terrible seasonal allergies and we're giving him Claritin and giving him these antihistamine eye drops and it doesn't make a difference. Maybe it does make a difference though. Maybe he'd be even more miserable, which I don't know if that's possible. Poor kid. But he looks like a bee stung both of his eyes. Which that's not, oh, my dog is scratching the door. Anyway, um, a bee did not sting both of his eyes, but that's what he looks like. So poor kid. But, um, you know, so did the the showrunner change in the middle of the season, right? Is that or, true? I, I think so. I feel like. Uh, it's I don't know. Hollis, I feel right? like, I'm, I'm, because for some reason I'm thinking. Is the showrunner changed between season one and season two because michael chabon was the season one showrunner and then akiva yeah. goldsman i think took over for season i don't two. think but see i think akiva goldsman is the showrunner for um uh strange, for strange new, worlds. new worlds i think i think he changed over maybe partway through i feel like uh kirsten um Bayer? Bayer is the showrunner for Picard now. Anyway, I'm not sure. But I was wondering if... Cause, but I don't want to think that... I don't want to blame it on a showrunner. But I've noticed the same thing. I thought the first half of Picard was a lot stronger than the second yeah. half. Although, after several episodes of kind of like, eh, I, I actually did enjoy this episode a lot more than I did the previous two. Mm-hmm. So um, I felt like it was a good penultimate episode. And in some ways, for me, it kind of redeemed... The previous two episodes or at least made the previous two episodes matter a little more for me although i think maybe the previous two episodes could have been taken care of in about 15 minutes um like they didn't need full episodes for yeah. oh my lord i think my dog is going to use a battering ram on my door um but i don't think i don't think they needed to be full episodes for what was accomplished in those two episodes yeah i agree sorry now if you'll just indulge me while I go on this non sequitur. Um, Lord Tucker. I, I mean, it may be that it's just harder to kind of wrap up a story than it is to begin one. I think I, you know, I would grant them that. And it, as evidenced by like every J.J. Abrams show ever, or like, or, or movie or, you know, anything. I was talking about Galactica, Ronald D. Moore. Yeah, 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 or Lost or, you know, uh, so, so I Lord of the Rings. <laughs> It just is like, it's something about the writing, like with the reveal that Gerardi and the Borg Queen kind of merge, like we all kind of knew that was going to happen, but there's, it's just like really one dimensional. It's just like, oh, Gerardi and the Borg Queen, like decide to play nice and then they just merge into, and that's it, right? There's no, there's no, no other explanation or no kind of deeper layer mm-hmm. or anything else going on, or even any extra kind of plot entropy. It's just like very straightforward and 
um, kind of predictable. Yeah. Uh, well, let's 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 keep that in mind when we get to it. I because uh, <laughs> because I, I don't want to like jump in too quickly into the the discussion of that because there's one of the reasons is going to be in my second strange new take. But to 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 go first uh, with something completely non trek related. Now I feel bad because I'm like you you made a good point, Bill. And I'm just going to go off in some okay. other direction and rant about beer. Because that's what's on my mind. I went to another <laughs> mediocre brewery yesterday in a great location, a place I really wanted to have succeed in St. Paul, Minnesota. But it was just, it's its a place with keg in the name and they sell a bunch of beer and all of it is incredibly mediocre. And again, as is typical in mediocre breweries, a lot of their beer is, is over hopped so they can hide the mediocre brewing. And... So much so, the person who invited me to this place for her party was like, "We this place is mediocre beer, but I wanted to succeed. That's why I bring people here." And I was like, "Maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that. Just let them like have the mystique in their heads of the place, and then they'll keep sending their friends <laughs> instead of being like, you know, I went there, but the beer is kind of crap." So, uh, this is my plea to American brewers to become better and to stop using hops to hide your medio mediocrity. Anyway, getting back to the episode, um, I don't know how I feel about this one, to be honest. So I'm, I'm hoping that as we talk, I can form more of an opinion or a rating. Um, and yeah, generally agree that the, the second half of the seasons have been kind of uh, more of a letdown. I think season one kind of fell off a cliff, whereas this one is at least kind of, it's a gentle slope down. And maybe, yeah. may, maybe we'll find one more peak before we reach uh, the end of the season. Who knows what the yeah. next episode holds. Um, quick answer about the showrunner thing. Terry Metalis is the showrunner mm -hmm. for Picard season two, and he's been in place since the beginning of the season, at least the season. Okay. So might have changed for season three, I'm not sure, but like... So uh, I think he might be a co-showrunner co because one of the articles I found said co-showrunner. Co so Akiva yeah. Goldsman never was the showrunner for Star Trek okay. Picard. He's but he's kind of, of like... Them. Kurtzman's oh. lieutenant or he's involved kind of across yeah, the yeah. franchise and, and I think yeah, he yeah. is the showrunner for Strange New Worlds but anyway interesting so well um, let's keep keep talking about this episode in more detail and we start with basically the new Borg Special Forces which apparently there weren't just the like 10 of them that were in that room. There were like hundreds of, of, of ex-Eugenic War Special Forces <laughs> people who all color-coordinated their lasers. Uh, what was yeah. that meeting like? <laughs> Hello, dangerous mercenaries who are here to kill people with big guns. We are now giving you blue, green lasers. No more blue lasers, no more red lasers. We all need to be color coordinated. Cause what it was kinda... the assimilation. <laughs> well, right? Like the, the Borg Queen touched the lasers, they turned green. they turned green. This is like an essential part of being Borg. Is stuff needs to be green now. All your lights have to be converted. Anyway, that's what we start with, with all the special forces beaming in. And then we find out immediately they're extremely incompetent because they can't like shoot one guy or like a doctor and their small child. They're like stormtroopers. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Are they like all clones of Boba Fett or whatever? Because, <laughs> um, because yeah, they can't they can't hit anything. And then you know, Rios and and Teresa and Ricardo escape. And Which then, that's uh, good. We didn't want to see a little kid get shot. You know, they wouldn't do that to us on Picard, right? Uh, coming up next week, <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo meets his end. 
Terrible, terrible. <laughs> Can you imagine a little like child Borg drone going and assimilating things like Ricardo turns into a <laughs> Well, that happens and then our main cast beam in using the uh, smoky transporter that Talon has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do y'all think of the first uh, like kind of setup portion of this episode? I mean, I think it's fine. Yeah, they need, you know, there's some action going on, which I, I think is fine. It's the um, tee up to the finale, so stuff is starting to happen. Um, and and I thought there was some real, um, you know, I felt like the characters were in real jeopardy. You know, it's... And they felt um, like they were, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I thought, I thought this was a, a good scene or a good kind of storyline, the stuff going on on the ship fighting the drones. Because doesn't Seven say something to Rafi like, you know, we're not going to get out of this. Or I can't remember what it is, yeah. but there's some little exchange between the two of them where she's like, yeah, we're we're not getting out of this. So <laughs> let's just do what we can. And, you yeah. know, I, I felt initially that the sense of jeopardy a lot more. But I, th- I thought there were many moments in this episode that took me out of a sense of real danger, like one being the escape early on but also kind of the inability of these special forces drones to like turn off their lasers at any point so it's like they're always <laughs> showing up at exactly the wrong moment to like shoot these people like rios is the only guy who gets hit by a bullet in this whole thing and like there's like constant like it's not like they're going like let me put these well placed shots that might miss or whatever it's just like indiscriminate shooting and nobody gets hit I think so, Seven got hit, actually. There was at yeah. one point where someone was, they were tying something around her arm, arm I think. I think Rafi, I don't, I can't remember, it was later on in the episode, though. Okay. Not yeah, when it, she got hit by the Borg crane. That was a big, that one was not unnoticeable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah. another one earlier, I think. Yeah, but it was just kind of, as the episode went on, I feel like the stakes got lower for me um, mm. in some way. And I think I'm with you, Emily, that I feel like we're kind of, there was enough stories here for eight episodes and we got 10 mm-hmm. and I think they, they needed to, I, I wish they had front loaded a little bit more about maybe Renee, like given Renee an episode about her like astronaut core or like something, you know, like, um, yeah. some, something like that, like some explore something before we get to the mecha Borgs, you know? Um, well, and you know, they were talking like, so at, I remember I was just listening to some other Star Trek podcasts and there were people who were wondering if maybe Renee was a red herring and actually the more important thing we needed to be following was Soong. And, but now it seems pretty clear that Renee's not a red herring. Like she really does need to go on that mission to Europa, yeah. but I don't understand why on earth I'm still really confused about Q's role in all of this. Um, right. You know, they, they started to tease a little bit last episode, but I just don't feel like it was enough. Like, it feels strange that we'll get the whole dump, the entire, like, everything we need to know about what Q's involvement is in the last episode. I feel like they could have teased it through a little bit better. I just agree completely. Yeah. It, it, to, to me, the whole, like, thinking about the season in totality, the plot line with Q as the antagonist and this thing where they get thrown back in time and, and the... The confederation and all that that's the a plot mm-hmm. right and then the stuff with the borg queen and gerardi that's the b plot you know mm-hmm. I, I, like it's not that complicated to me okay they're gonna you know in the end they're gonna beat the borg queen and but you know whatever um but yeah we 
I would have liked to know more about what was going on with Q where it would have been cool even to do like a, an episode just about Q and like how Q is dying or what's the story behind that. Like that mm -hmm. could have been the ninth episode with like no, none of our main characters, you know, that would be very like kind of like JJ Abrams or Damon Lindelof or something, yeah. but you know, yeah. Yeah. um, so, so yeah, it's weird that we, we still really know hardly anything about mm -hmm. what's going on with Q. Yeah, and and John Delancey's screen time has been so limited. Yeah. Uh, for somebody who is hyped so much in the, in the in the trailers and such, but I so 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 after the setup, basically the episode branches out into several different character stories. Right, we get Picard and Talon off in the tunnels, where we learn a lot of new lore about Picard. Raffi and Seven go off into the surface kind of uh, areas of the house, and we learn some lore about Seven. And then Rios and Teresa are sent, and Ricardo, of course, are sent to the apartment. And we get a little bit of there over there. And then we have kind of Gerardi and her drones on the ship. Mm -hmm. And of course, Soong is chasing Picard. So He's let's, like the worst ever. He's very yeah, right. He's, yeah, let, 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 let's, <laughs> act, let's, okay, let, let's, let's dive into Mr. Soong first. Let's get over with that before we jump into <laughs> talking about Picard and Talon. Uh, so Soong is like... I don't I, at this point I don't really understand what he's doing because he, his initial motivation was to help Q so that Q would help his daughter mm -hmm. but that's gone away so why does he he's still want evil. to stop Picard? yeah yeah I, <laughs> is there any other reason that he wants to stop Picard at this point other than to revenge or something like what's I think for his own glory like he wants to be that statue in San Francisco Bay but doesn't like he I at one point in know. this episode like ask to go to the future or something? Is that did I catch that right in the dialogue? Mm, I don't know. Bill, I don't did watch you? It once. I th are you talking about the scene where it's they're they're talking about the future in which he becomes this prominent figure? Yeah, yeah, they're in the um, the greenhouse or whatever. Yeah, um, but I don't. I, I mean, I I could have missed it, but I don't think he's says anything about literally like doing time travel to go to the future i mean i think yeah. he's just want wanting that future in which mm. he becomes famous or whatever but yeah i agree with both you guys i mean it, yeah i think that's the in-universe explanation that he just wants to be famous or whatever but it's pretty lame you know and it's, and it's so like i don't know i mean it's just so flat out evil to want to be willing to do all of these things just to be famous. You know? <laughs> just, yeah, I guess yeah. if you have a God complex, you know, I don't know. And all of the Soongs seem to have that God complex, but yeah, it's yeah, it, it's, it, but, but he is again, Brent Spiner showing us some very villainous chops in his acting, which I think mm -hmm. are, is a side of, Brent Spiner we have not seen in Star Trek before. Like, Lore mm -hmm. still had that kind of chummy uh, feeling to him, whereas this Soong is just, like, a bad, evil guy, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Spiner's been great. I think mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed watching I him act. I, I think two. the writing is just not that compelling. You know? So, okay. Before they get to this, that scene in the greenhouse, we see Talon and Picard going through the tunnels, which, hey, didn't we do this a few episodes ago? <laughs> Exactly. That's why I feel yeah. like the I feel like the scene like monsters could have been they could have just made this episode a little bit longer, done the whole monsters thing instead of using monsters to tease that what you know, what was it that happened with his mother? You know, there's something right. more to the story. Um, yeah, I 
I have a little bit of a diatribe to go on here, but I think, you know, I think we can trace all of this back to um, objections from fans that new Star Trek would be too too action focused, and so I think the powers that be, the writers, heard that and said, no, we want it to be really character driven and not so action focused. Um, much more character driven and, and kind of emotional. And you can see this in Discovery, like big time, and in Picard too. So they want, you know, they're kind of adding this character stuff about Picard's past and his mom and whatever. And they're trying to tie it back to the plot. So, it, you know, so, oh, Picard remembers this secret passage and it mm -hmm. relates to his childhood or whatever. But, it, but they just kind of don't get it quite right. Or the, the, to me, the character stuff, same thing with Burnham. I mean, the, like this, they just do this with Burnham all the time. It's, it's never really grabbed me or it's never been like a soup. The character stuff has never been that compelling. And I think, I think the impulse is healthy to want to add that. Like, I don't think it should just be like an action show, but I think that they just never really pull it off quite right. Well, and it's like, I don't, I, I appreciate the attempt at adding character, but I don't need it to be like Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. in order to give me that character you know and it wasn't quite pan's labyrinth but it had shades of that well but 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 i think i think you're touching on something which is that it is it seems a little more derivative than maybe it should seem we seem to be getting a writer's version of picard rather than or television writer's version of picard rather than picard himself because like what we saw in monsters to me was enough I didn't need his mother killing herself, you know, like it doesn't yeah. give a, it doesn't add anything as far as I'm concerned that explains anything, any of what we've seen to Picard so far. And how, I mean, how could he like stuff away the memory that his mother like took her own life? I mean, maybe the part where he was responsible, okay, he's a child, but like at some point up to this point, we should have had some inkling of such a major event. So the idea that there would be this family mental struggle and maybe she struggled for many decades or whatever, that seems completely understandable to me. That seems like something that a person would be able to kind of really, you know, kind of explain away in their own lives or stuff away or whatever. But the idea that it had to go to this length, it just seems like the writers needed some kind of dramatic flourish and they added it. Um, and so yeah. I didn't, I didn't like it to be perfectly honest with you. I yeah. did. I did appreciate the little call out that they had when I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he made some comment. You, you, I used to imagine that I could that I would see her and have tea with her when she was an old woman. That was kind of a callback to that episode. I can't remember which episode it is, but there's an episode where he has a vision of his mother as an old woman. It's like in the corridor of the right. Enterprise, right? Um, and she offers him a cup of tea or something. Yes. Um, and so that was kind of a nice little call out to that, you know, kind of trying to retro you know <laughs> retroactively yes, explain yes. something that he had but yeah it well and it was i okay so i mean maybe this i don't think this is a controversial thing to say because there are a lot of emotions that happen when someone you love dies by suicide so yeah you know that brings up a lot of stuff but i was so mad at her for um having her child let her out of the room so that she could go and successfully take her life that's just really it may be so i'm like i can't believe you made your child an accessory to that yeah. that just felt really icky <laughs> i don't know mm -hmm. and i know mental health and mental illness is you know i mean i totally get that people are in dark places and yeah. if they you know that's the only way they can see out they're gonna do whatever they can to get to that point but oh that was just really that was really awful 
Yeah, I, I I agree. It was kind of, there's a lot of questions that are raised about what she's been going through and why and what Maurice's role has been in kind of helping mm-hmm. her in the past and like what happened afterwards. Um, the other thing that became evident in this episode, by the way, is that all of these visions that we've seen this season are about a day and a half of young mm-hmm. Picard's life. It's not, it's, it, so basically they come to the greenhouse, they paint the thing, and then at night Maurice and, and Yvette are sitting there with young Picard. Then she takes him down into the, the tunnels to escape, and he uh, gets stuck, Maurice captures uh, saves him, takes the Yvette and locks her in the, the room and then maybe the next day or some, three days later or whatever it is, I forget exactly uh, Jean-Luc lets her, well he, he opens the door to go in with her and then she goes and takes her own life in the in the greenhouse mm-hmm. and yeah it's, I don't know I, th- I think we had found some deeper meaning with all of this stuff before this episode and it didn't add it like i said before i don't think it adds anything other than these kind of feelings of these questions that i'm bringing up and these emotions of like how you know horrible it is what happened that you brought up just now emily but i don't think those like substantially like do anything for the story or for the picard lore do you so here's a question do you think this so since all of Picard's flashbacks slash memories have been in this very short period of time in his childhood. Is that a Q thing? Like, I just started wondering if there's something, if Q is somehow, I, not that I'm saying, I mean, cause Q's talking about, you know, he's getting ready to face the unknown cause he's dying. Mm-hmm. What if um, Q is contemplating death by suicide or you know like i just wonder like if there's any way that that q could be Mm -hmm. um targeting these memories in picard because he's trying to glean something from it or or the fact that he's just locked in this moment in his life if that is related to q or not which we don't know because they haven't done very much with q this whole season but we've seen that before though with the voyager episode death wish Mm mm-hmm where the the Q, I think it's what's his name? I forget the other Q. Q's. Yeah, just Q. <laughs> Quinn. Quinn. I think Quinn. they call him Quinn. Yeah. Quinn. Yeah. yeah. Quinn does take his own life at the end of that mm-hmm. uh, episode. So, but I think you're right. I think we are seeing. Q, I mean, this is Q's handiwork. He's helping Picard. Typically, Q's work has helped Picard in some way, mm-hmm. and this does seem kind of relevant to that. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. We also see kind of Talon participate in this, but she doesn't really have much other than kind of a role other than asking Picard or prompting him for more information on what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a more limited play on Talon. Uh, we also hear a little bit more about how Chateau Picard was used as a, a French resistance ammo dump. And I was like, well, where's the damn... like? ammunition or whatever and on cue Picard finds a revolver and takes a few shots you know something that was cool about um about using uh Chateau Picard in this part of the story as well Mm -hmm. is seeing like they were just able to take the same sets that they use in the opening in the first episode and have them lit differently and obviously like you know things are set around differently because it's been abandoned but it was just kind of cool seeing them walk through places where we saw Q and Picard have conversations Mm -hmm. 
in those early episodes. And so I kind of, I kind of appreciated that just seeing how they were able to, it was like little touchstones that, that I was having during that episode. Like, Oh, I remember seeing Q and Picard talk about this over here. And I remember when Picard walked through here with, um, I just forgot Orla Brady's other character's name. Um, but uh, the Romulan woman whose name just went away from my yeah, mind. Yeah, I, I lost uh, it. I had it a second ago. It starts with an L. <laughs> Doesn't it Laris. Laris. Laris, thank you. I was like, Laurel? No, that's the wrong show. <laughs> anyway, so, but, um, yes, I've appreciated that. Yeah, I think I think they're, and uh, generally speaking, I think their set design this season has been pretty good. I, mm-hmm. I, I have no complaints about the art direction of this mm-hmm. at all, other than maybe the Borg lasers, which were a little contrived. <laughs> Little toe uh, nose. No. So, uh, sorry, just uh, really quick. So, the green and black is clearly like the board motif from like Voyager onwards. But way in the beginning, like in TNG, when they're first introduced, they have red lasers, don't they? Yeah, it's red. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And does it change in um, in first contact? I think the I first contact they also have red lasers because you have that scene mm-hmm. where the door opens and there's like the you know the oh, crew yeah. are trying to escape and then like one laser comes on and yeah. the other and then yeah. they're like all yeah. like coming out of the darkness and that's <laughs> such a great movie. Um, yeah, I, I think you it. can explain the you know the, it does makes they, they were trying to invoke the Borg art direction from previous things and and you know you the queen doesn't have access to all of her like Borg neural stuff so she can't just like have the like eye implant appear to give the actual laser so it makes sense i yeah i mean i would have personally gone with a uh, night vision goggles that have little like laser you know green um dots on this so you could see the eyes but not like the direction they're pointing and i think that would have been a little bit more believable than like constantly using laser sights but it was a um but yeah i think i think we've discussed the special forces other failings in 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 other parts of this episode already as well um any other pieces of the picard talon Soong special forces segment we need to talk do about? we know where did they sh- they didn't really show Soong disappearing did they we just know that he was there and he was still standing after that thing exploded we could still see him there and then the next time they show that spot he's gone i i think you can see him actually scamper out oh okay i i I feel like i saw that maybe it was just in my head but i think you know just a few frames or something but i think you can see him yeah okay yeah that's my question is how does he leave france how do any of these people leave france because well Talon and Picard, et cetera, have the Talon's transporter. But how does yeah. Soong end up back in, a, you know, L.A.? It's like, it's a pretty long flight from Paris. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he'll have, he'll have no passport stamp. So, right. you know, that's going to cause all kinds of problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a little <laughs> bit weird. Uh, he'll have to, like, spend a few days at the embassy getting his passport, get a visa. Or maybe he could just call well, in one of his special get... forces favors. How did they all get to France? <laughs> Uh, you see, you back? see the transports, right? You see, like the little green transport uh, things as they're beaming into the field. Oh, because the Borg Queen had tapped into that for yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So they won't be able to use that because now the Borg Queen is Gerardi Queen. Well, La Serena is gone. Yeah. He went to war. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's take a break over here. We'll come back and talk about that Borg Queen section with uh, Seven Gerardi and the Rios part of this plot. You'd have a cohort pulled from the dying, or recruit from derelict ships, flotsam of space. You'd have us collect scraps and offer second chances. 
What if we take this ship and build a better Borg? A real collective based not on assimilation, but salvation. Think about it. A Borg collective that embraces the uniqueness of its members. You ask us to embrace weakness. I'm positing that what you've written off as weakness is actually strength. Cooperation. Your proposal is absurd. But not entirely unintriguing. Imagine. Members who would fight harder for what they chose. Who would lose no battles because they made no enemies. Who would not be discarded and replaced. Attachments could grow and deepen. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. Where we haven't been discussing much in the break other than Emily's uh, son, Dietrich, coming into the room talking about imaginative stories. My favorite imaginative mm-hmm. story that I told my parents was that I got taken to a beach and my parents said, yeah, that's where a plane crashed once. And I was like, yeah, our teachers had us like look for like the disposable like cutlery from the plane. And it's completely false. I just, you know, my my strongest memory from a plane was eating food with like disposable cutlery. That's all I knew. Oh. <laughs> and so I was I was making it up, and my and my pa- parents totally played on. Like, yeah, and they must have been like, this kid is an idiot. Like, what <laughs> teachers make kids look for debris from a plane crash? Like, <laughs> I almost crashed in an airplane once. Really. Yeah, in, into the into the Pacific Ocean. We were taking off out of LAX, going to Cincinnati, and you have to take off. You fly out over the ocean and turn around and head east. Uh-huh. Um, and while we were we took off, we're over the ocean, and the pilot was supposed to hit. Well, we found out afterwards. This is what happened. Actually, I should tell you what happened first. We're flying out over the ocean. All of a sudden, it goes dead silent. And you know that feeling when your legs start to go, like the gravity yeah. kind of oh, shifts, yeah. you know? So I was waiting for that. I was nine. I was waiting for that moment and it didn't happen and everything goes silent on the plane. And then I start noticing people are panicking and my mom like goes into the crash position. <laughs> and I'm like, what's happening? And then someone comes on the, on the thing that said, we're going to prepare for a water landing. Um, I need everyone to get on their life uh, jackets under the seat. You know, everyone get ready. And this woman's like, do you have life jackets for babies? She's like a three week old baby and she's screaming and oh, like no. all these people are freaking out and I'm crying and my mom's trying to help my sister get her life jacket on and then help me. And the flight attendant's like, are you with anyone? I'm like, blah, 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 crying. And she's like, ma'am, why aren't you helping her? And she's like, I'm trying to get the life jacket on my younger daughter first. She can't swim. <laughs> this one can swim. <laughs> it's like, it was, crazy we keep getting lower and lower we can see the ocean getting closer and closer this is all very it felt very slow and so it's happening and then all of a sudden everything went back on and we continued on our way to cincinnati we found out after on the the pilot comes on and says it was pilot error or it was human error there's nothing malfunction no no malfunction on the plane nothing is wrong um but you know so just know we're going to continue on our way to cincinnati we don't need to go back to the airport and the rest of us are like what the hell he turned off the airplane (laughs) mid-flight like he was supposed to hit a button to conserve fuel and there was the the off switch apparently was right by there and so he hit the wrong button it shut off the plane fortunately we were high enough that it took long you know and the way yeah. the position the plane was we didn't like dive into the ocean of course one of my friends who flies who's in the air force he's like oh you all totally would have died like 
you would not have survived that if the plane oh. had landed on the ocean. He's like, no way. He's like, it probably would have cartwheeled in the, <laughs> you know? yeah. he's like, it's just so hard to land on water. It's a lot of times it's worse landing on water than on the ground. But, um, right. yeah, anyway, so yeah, so that, yeah, so I almost crashed in an airplane, Wow! but now, now they made it so you can't turn the airplane off like that anymore. Yeah. I wonder what would be worse, knowing that there's something wrong with the aircraft, and then and then being like, we've got to land immediately, or being like, yeah. it was it was totally a mistake of the pilot, and we're gonna keep <laughs> that guy on the aircraft for the next like four hours. Yeah, I don't I don't think he flew anymore after that. I think that was the end of his career. But um, oh, funny. anyway, yeah. Wow. Oh my okay. gosh. Good yeah. story. Good story. Yeah, yeah. So hope you all enjoyed that, listeners. <laughs> yeah, definitely not gonna be thinking about that on my next fifty flights. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I I didn't I didn't fly for a while after that so yeah, I imagine not <laughs> had to go to some counseling <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well let us return to hide and seek which maybe your play therapy your counseling as a child involved play therapy and it involved from hide and seek see that's my segue Adam I don't think this they is did how that. you segue I'm remember <laughs> yeah there you go I don't think they did play therapy back then <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll just use it as a segue, okay? There we'll just go, use it go. as a segue. We need, we need to demonstrate for Adam, who who has previously on this podcast <laughs> talked about his lack of segues sometimes. Uh, so this is how you segue. Um, all right. Well, uh, we were talking, we talked about Dallin and Picard and Soong, and we were about to talk about the, the part of the plot with... Um, Seven and Gerardi or Gerardi and and her drones on the ship, which initially starts with Rios locking out the controls uh, with with uh, or or it was is it Gerardi? When does Elnor appear in this episode? I'm trying to remember now. Gerardi is the one that made Elnor appear. Right, right, right. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like the emergency combat. But I did hologram, get the feeling right? that I did get the feeling that Rios was the one that locked locked her out initially. Right, and, and then and um, it's yeah. when she goes to like disable the 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 lock or something like that. Gerardi appears, and they have the mm-hmm. Queen and Gerardi talking to one another, and that's when you're right. Gerardi makes Elnor appear, mm-hmm. who's because the La Serena has a holographic version of everybody who's been on the ship, which begs the question: Why didn't she bring back those two Starfleet security, you know, Confederate Starfleet security officers? <laughs> who had been on the ship to like try and capture everybody because then Elnor could have had some help um yeah because she just bring one person back maybe right. she only had one hollow emitter I kept waiting for someone to knock the hollow emitter off his arm right. like he had it you know I was like uh oh they're gonna knock that off and he'll disappear actually no I just realized there was something that Gerardi put in to lock her out because she said a- I didn't memorize it it was a so, fractal algorithm, which is the mm-hmm. same thing Data uses in uh, First Contact mm-hmm. to lock the Queen out. Um, as They're well. really doing lots of homages to First Contact and Voyage Home. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so so Elnor then forgets that holograms can't be shot, and he's like running around the ship hiding. He finds a sword, and apparently the last arena is the Confederate holograms have all the memories of, of the dead uh, person as well. So, so that that's oh, kind of that, helpful. That was dumb, dude. That was <laughs> dumb. El, Elmer is like, I recall my death. It's really so dumb. <laughs> Hopefully, it's a La Serena computer just feeling sorry for Raffi and being like, we'll just have him say some stuff that like de-escalates right. the situation. <laughs> right. 
so, um, so she can be more helpful in this situation. Right. <clears throat> well, prior to that, Raffi and Seven are walking through Chateau Picard, and we get oh, yeah. a bit of a lore dump for Seven. I liked that. Although, I have to say, I was super disappointed in Starfleet. What the hell? Starfleet sucks. Well, and, and so so Rafi keeps telling Seven, like, you should be a captain, which is the best thing to say to someone who's left Starfleet. Um, <laughs> like, Rafi needs a little bit more emotional intelligence, I think, about, like, what to say and when. Because it's, it's, she's kind of a loose cannon in terms of, like, triggering feelings in people. <laughs> and Seven is like, yeah, well, about that uh, whole Starfleet situation. <laughs> so, okay. I find it believable that Starfleet would say no to an XB. Like, I don't... Mm. And people are like, what about Ichab? But Ichab was a child when he was a Borg. Seven was like a fully formed Borg drone. And it, was, it wasn't that Starfleet refused to take Seven until the end. Seven just gave up. Midway, seeing the amount of effort Janeway had to put in. So she says that Admiral Janeway like tried, mm. like threatened to quit Starfleet and this and that. And Seven just gave up. So I don't think it's as much of an inconsistency. Mm. Yeah. And we've seen in previous episodes, even of the next generation, Starfleet come out aren't the most like, you know, sensible people. There are some bureaucracy no. there. There's some sure. red tape. Uh, so the I find the captains are always the best, and the admirals are always bad admirals. Not yeah. always, but often. Yeah, yeah. It well, it, I just kind of liked it because I have this fantasy that after season three of Picard, they'll make a spinoff that. You know where Patrick Stewart isn't in it anymore, but it has the new characters, and they're on a on the Stargazer or something, and have their own ship. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of, you know, just suggesting that like, you know, Seven wanted to be in Starfleet, but it didn't work yeah. out or whatever. You know, like maybe, maybe there's some way they to, can... to kind of think of that. Um, but yeah, the Bad Morals thing. I mean, the, yeah, they always, you know, it's just to add more conflict, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, you could, if the administration was like good and you know acted in beneficial ways, it would be just be less dramatic, right? So mm-hmm. they have to always make them bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I don't I don't find Seven's story to be unbelievable or plot hole or anything like that. There was some discussion of that online, and I I just just like I didn't I didn't get that. I actually enjoyed her mentioning Voyager, mentioning mm-hmm. Janeway. It made the world seem big of Star Trek. It did. I liked yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, I mean, I think it suits her character too to have her be like an outsider vigilante with the Fenris Rangers. Mm. And she's a, she has a little bit of a chip on her shoulder. Um, I think, yeah, I think it, it felt totally good to me. Well, she is also kind of a, um, she's she, she's always been someone who's been slighted, right? She's always had that core of anger inside of her. Where she's, yeah. you know, whether it's from being assimilated, not knowing her parents, whether it's kind of being misunderstood by Janeway, and whatever it's. So I think I think this is this is a natural progression for this character to be that way. You know, it would be so interesting to see a post Voyager. It doesn't even have to be a series. It could be a mini series. It would be so interesting to see what happened when Voyager returned home because in a lot of ways, Voyager became this kind of idyllic place where Mm ex-Maquis and ex-Borg and Starfleet could all coexist and get along and there weren't any issues. No one had to go be put on trial in order to be able to serve on this starship or any of that. And I just wonder how many people had to go 
you know, ha- had to go to trial when Voyager got back? Or did they just forgive all of that? You know, or, or anyway, I just, I, it, yeah. I think it would be interesting to see how Starfleet would handle all of these different characters mm-hmm. serving on a ship together. And they, they, to them, it's not an issue anymore. They've worked through all that. It's not, it's no big deal. But then to be confronted with the bureaucracy of Starfleet when they get home, that could be really well, interesting. Well, I, I forget if it was, yeah, I if mean, where this was, but I believe that that was the plot of some story in in the Star Trek. Like a book? A book or something. I can't remember exactly where I read it, but that, that was, that has been postulated that like, mm-hmm. you know, when okay. they come back, their version of what should be is not how Starfleet expects it to be. Bill, you were saying something like this? Well, I was just going to say that from Prodigy, we know that Chakotay becomes a captain, right? right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's also safe to assume that Harry Kim doesn't get promoted and it just is an ensign forever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> we've, we've seen some fantastic things in Star Trek, but that creates... Uh, you know, credulity, <laughs> strange credulity. Um, that's when the Star Trek universe has clearly like jumped the shark. Ha- Lieutenant Harry Kim, what are you smoking, Akiva Goldsmith? <laughs> Dude, he's like sixty. He's still like <laughs> working in ops and Captain Voyager. Tom Paris is like an admiral, like ordering him around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. What's it, Naomi Wildman is like the captain of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, um, getting back to our friends of Raffi and Seven. So they, they, they have a few like conversations in, in Chateau Picard. And that's when, you know, I think Emily, you referenced the conversation with Seven says, you know, we're not coming back from this yet. Well, guess who comes back from it? <laughs> they run through a field full of special forces with a pickaxe and a hammer or whatever it was. And yeah. they survive. <laughs> um, That's because they're badass. Yeah, yeah. I uh, and the the Borg are uh, stormtroopers, so you know, makes sense that they would be able to get through. Well, I mean, it's 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 the writers playing with our expectations, right? But I, there's a part mm-hmm. of me that wonders again, and we said this before earlier. Well, I said this before earlier in Picard and in. Um, it's just, do we do we need somebody to, or we said this in Discovery, actually, towards the end of Discovery, where it's like, did, would it be better if one of them did actually not make it? Because it seems like either they need to have fewer special forces in this episode, or one of them needs to die. Because it's like, it's a little, you know, you're getting into Marvel Cinematic Universe territory here with them running through a field of like hundreds of eugenic wars mercs and like, uh, you know, getting through. But I don't know if you guys felt the same way about that as I did. Well, it's Star Trek. That always happens. Yeah. I mean, almost all of them come through all the time. The stakes aren't usually as high in Star Trek episodes as they are in some other shows, you know? Yeah. When they do kill off characters, it's done in a really, like, trivial way. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like... (laughs) Like um, Dax and Tasha Yar yeah. and even Data in Nemesis, like yeah. it's kind of a, usually like a pretty hollow, like yeah. low stakes, just kind of like random. Oh, they shot that person and they died. Okay, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, that that is not what happens here because they get to the ship and they're about to 
to unleash hell on the war queen but the war queen has her like little arms that shoot out which hey where have we seen that before <laughs> right um the gerardi has absorbed the war queen's exoskeleton and she has now she's no longer wearing that torn tattered red dress um <laughs> she's wearing clothes although there's a segment of this episode where i think she's not wearing clothes she like gets out of the dress and walks over to the morgue drawer dresser and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but we, we finally get the the exoskeleton back and she immediately stabs seven of nine which yeah i did think seven maybe was gonna die yeah there. i was i was like i was like yep yeah, that this is it this is the end mm-hmm. the boar queen finally kills seven of nine um but i wasn't sad that they found a way to undo that mm-hmm. so <laughs> i don't want seven of nine to be dead so so okay this is now probably the most controversial the most consequential as far as the larger trek lore is concerned piece of this episode and maybe even this season so far uh maybe there's even more consequential stuff coming next season but or next episode but the part where the boar queen picks up a knife and is about to stab seven what comes after is is pro and it is it is having gone through quickly through some um online discussions it is very controversial what happened next is it you mean the part where like the board queen heals seven the part where gerardi and the board queen have a discussion where gerardi says that the real borg are the friends we made along the way essentially um but yeah well it's controversial so what's the controversy i mean i thought it was kind of i mean we knew that was going to happen and i thought it could have been done a little bit better but what was so controversial well i I don't want to get y'all to focus on the controversy i want y'all to talk about what happened but uh just to give you the brief over people are like ah the borg have become like it was friendship this whole time like someone just had to like in first contact if picard had just told the borg queen that they could be friends if data had been like yeah Friendship is magic. I, I love you. It's fine. And then the board would have been like, that's all I wanted. I didn't want to assimilate Earth. I wanted to assimilate love. And, <laughs> you know. See, I, so I did not take it that way. I took it more that Gerardi was trying to find a twist on what they were, on what the Borg were doing so that it wasn't so destructive, but it could actually be constructive. But I didn't see it as, oh, well, if we had just realized this about the Borg before, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was just Gerardi being kind of smart and figuring out another way to handle this that, and and also in a less destructive way than Starfleet's always handled the Borg, you know, like, or, well, I guess the Starfleet didn't handle the Borg destructively in iBorg, right? Because right? that would have been... They did the, um, I can't remember. They, whatever. Did they? They do. They didn't end up doing the virus, or they did give some sort of virus rather than destroying the cube. They found another way. But um, so that's kind of. I didn't see that as um, controversial. I thought I saw I saw it as creative um, and a way to change the Borg so they're not just the same thing every single time we see them, only bigger and badder and worse. And because I get super bored with bad with you know the bad mm-hmm. guys when they just become this indestructible force and the only way that um the quote-unquote good guys can win is deus ex machina <laughs> like there's just no there's just no way i mean it's every superhero that's on right now every superhero movie that's on right now is so boring 
because I'm just so over all of the destruction and the battles and like every five minutes there's this, you know, this is the end of this, you know, the end of everything as we know it. And then, oh, wait, five minutes later, it's the end of everything as we know it. And I'm just bored of that. But yeah, I, um, I agree. And I think that this, it actually didn't, didn't feel that way to me at all, because in this instance, like the Borg Queen and Jurati, their minds are literally merging. So it's not like Jurati, you know, the the device on screen is that you have the two actresses talking mm-hmm. to one another and Jurati is kind of convincing the Borg Queen, but that's just a device, right? I mean, the idea mm-hmm. is that their minds are kind of battling and then they end up kind of merging and meeting in the middle. So it's, it's not really like Jurati convinced the Borg Queen mm-hmm. to be good, it's that they you know, it's it's part Jurati and part Borg Queen, and they kind of they meet in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I actually agree with this. I think I was expecting this all season. I was just expecting it to come from a weakened Borg choosing the path that does not lead to their destruction. So I think, and and that's one of the things that Jurati also said to the Borg Queen. In every eventuality, the Borg always get destroyed. Resistance actually turns out not to be futile. Um, that's not a direct quote from her, but but basically that's the message mm-hmm. that she that the Borg Queen receives, and so she decides, okay, we need we need to do something different, because whatever we've been doing up to this point is not working necessarily. But, um, and I think at this point we've pretty much confirmed that the the Borg Queen is going to be or Jurati, the one in the beginning of the first yeah. episode of the mm-hmm. season that's with the mask on. Uh, which means that she's been going through 400 years of, you know, beaming through space on the La Serena um, to get to uh, Borg space or whatever. So here is something. This is um, Travis and I were talking mm-hmm. about this on Thursday night. So because um, he said, so does this mean now that the Borg aren't going to be the force that they are when we see uh, Battle of Wolf 359 or when we see, you know, like all of this stuff, like, does that affect that? Because yeah. my thought is it's not, this is the Confederation Borg Queen, like the Borg Queen that is in existence during the Confederation. So if it, if they all somehow, I, I mm-hmm. kind of got the feeling they're all somehow going to end up going back to 2501 and, but maybe the Borg queen the new Jurati board queen is going to be in some other dimension or some yeah. or some she somehow goes in some other way maybe q takes sends the rest of them back to 2501 and the board queen and Jurati go on their own little adventure and they do have 400 years to whatever and break through in that message to picard that gets him to go on the stargazer and then we see what happens at the end of the first episode maybe i don't know yeah i mean it does make your head kind of spin to think about mm-hmm. it. But, it but yeah in that first episode it is some kind of like trans-dimensional rift or something mm-hmm. that the Jurati ship comes through so i think mm-hmm. it is possible to kind of preserve the timeline that we all know mm-hmm. right and have Jurati kind of doing the good yeah, board thing in parallel and then she I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, mm-hmm. but this is, I mean, this is one of the issues now is that it's its like that classic Janeway, like time travel makes my head hurt, right? Bill was referencing mm-hmm. just now. It's, you know, Guinan doesn't recognize Picard because the future had not happened the way that she would, have, that allowed Picard to come back in Time's Arrow. So now if these people prevent the Confederation timeline, then the Confederation La Serena wouldn't have ever existed. So... Oh, um, there's just there's just a little bit of like 
timey wimey kind of stuff here. I'm meeting your own grandmother. That's why I feel like Q is going to be the one that, because Q can just if eventually something happens where, I don't know if Q gets power back or whatever, Q can make all that go the way it needs to without it mattering. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, um. So hmm. so th- there is some stuff we we're going to get through. The other thing that I think I wanted to just quickly put on your radar is that. The Boar Queen Borgifies Seven again, and in exactly the same way she was in the past. So all of her implants and everything appears, which then you know makes me question why? Why couldn't she just make the lasers appear on the people's eyes? Uh, why did Why did we need uh, <laughs> the gun lasers uh, at that point? But because uh, that was pretty quick, she's like, "And look, peace be with you, my child." She touches her head, and it's like she, Seven is like back to being pre pre time travel Seven. So, do any of you think that maybe none of this is real? Mm. Gee, I think it's. I there's a chance. I think that that's going to be the case. And if it is, I mean, obviously pissed, none of it is real. I know it's a television show, but you know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, In universe that it's all yeah. like Q dream or something. I mm-hmm. I think I, I'm terrified that that's going to turn out to be I true. Know, I think it I is know. possible. Yeah. I don't want it to be true, but but there have just been some things that are a little strange um, that yeah. that can't. I mean, for example, some of the fact that like it's Confederation technology that's gone back to 2024, not Federation. A- anyway, there's just there are some, you know, they were like tra- somehow transported into their bodies mm-hmm into their confederation version of the bodies, but still with their federation right, consciousness. Right. So some of those things are a little weird and just make me wonder if we're watching something that is, uh, um, yeah. You know. Yeah. The, the Picard flashbacks have been a little surreal too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Gee, I hope not, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, and this is, this is the, the balancing act they're going to have to do with, with the, the, the final episode is how do they now resolve we, we start we started the episode with some of this how do they resolve all of the stuff you know especially mm-hmm. the question of you need two Renes is the is the thing that the board right. queen Del Seven and Raffi later as she's leaving you'll need two Renes what does that mean does that mean that so I was wondering if the, there's two Renes one who lives and one who dies I don't know that this is what it is but the one who lives is the Rene that goes to Europa the one who dies is the nephew that dies in the fire mm. so there are two Renes there are two Rene Picards you know that anyway because I was thinking that could be a way where it's not some weird you know time travel thing but it's just recognizing um, and I don't know I just had some like maybe it's not as complicated as they're making it sound maybe it's just you know, Picard remembering about his nephew, which they have not mentioned his brother or <laughs> really at all. Like, have they mentioned Robert in this? Yeah, they said know. that Robert was off at like was boarding, he at boarding school. school? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm having trouble kind of figuring out What the I mean, you're right in that we have seen another Rene die, but that happens so many years in the future. So how does that kind of yeah, I know. play? I don't know. It would be a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's. I just find it interesting that they named her Rene Picard when there's already a Rene Picard that's in universe, like that we've 
heard of. Yeah. So I said well, it's like how they wouldn't bring back an actor from the '90s who played a really important time travel-based character just to like have him play some other rando, right? Like there has to be some significance <laughs> to to some of the decisions they're making. <laughs> you can see it, uh, dear listener, but I did a Picard face bomb right there. Um, yeah. So let's. Let's see. Let's 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 see how they stick the landing on that one. Just the final thing to discuss before we move on. Well, first of all, the Borg Queen zooms off on her ship. Presumably, the Vulcans that are on Earth all the time like sensed that warp flight and were like, "Hmm, time travel doesn't exist, so that can't be from the future." Wonder what that was. And I don't know. That would have probably prompted first contact, as they'd have been like, "That's a human ship signature. Clearly, the humans have warp." Um, but anyway, that's. Uh, that's just kind of uh, a bit more kind of jokey on my part than anything see and a serious gripe I have. But so the Borg Queen is now on her way to the Delta Quadrant, presumably. Uh, wonder what kind of impact that's going to have on on the future. And then we in in between all of this, though, we see Ra, uh, Rios and Teresa and Ricardo. And it looks like Rios says goodbye to Teresa for the last time. Is that what y'all got out of that? Yeah. It, yeah. It's gonna be kind of sad. I'm. A lot of people have been um, wondering if Rios was gonna not stay. Like he was either gonna stay behind, or if he was not gonna come back with everyone else. But which I was hoping was not the case, because we definitely need to see like a Rios Stargazers series. Yeah. Um, he, he's but, the best character, right? The best new yeah. character. I don't think they would do that. It would be like killing off Saru or something. It's, I know. Yeah. I know. I don't think they would do it either. But um, but then I, so it was like, so is does that mean Teresa's going to go with him or is it just done? Yeah, I don't know. It kind of seemed like it could just be done. I mean, the question yeah. I would ask is what happens to the crew of the Stargazer when they are when the Borg Queen kind of does that whole thing, you know? Like, do they still activate the self-destruct? Or is this group of people actually going to go back to the future and become their future versions after that self-destruct is activated? You know what I mean? Like... Or... Yeah. See, I also wondered, or could it be that they go back with their new consciousness of what this new Borg Queen is, if they go back to a few moments before that self-destruct... So that they that they receive what she's bringing differently. I so I mm. have the question I have about this is simple, which is I would have believed what you just said, Emily, until the Borg Queen Borgified Seven of Nine, like made her exactly mm. like she used to be. That just makes me wonder, like they must have done that because they want to explain how Seven goes from human back to Borg, which wouldn't be necessary if it was just a consciousness thing. Mm-hmm. You know. So, oh boy, I don't know, you guys. It's... Is it going to be like the time turner when Hermione and Harry go back and have to like, you know, figure out that it's actually Harry and not Harry's dad that sets off the Patronus? Yeah, <laughs> they have to like, like, you know, they kind of have to stay by the side and watch all of these things happen, and then they start to realize what it is. And then, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Go free the hippogriff, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know. basically this is just Harry Potter. <laughs> Uh, Tori Metalis is a mm-hmm. huge fan, apparently. I don't know that for a fact. But anyway, <laughs> well, um, that's about it. Any other last pieces from this episode that you'll want to discuss before we go into ratings? 
Next week's episode better not be 41 minutes long. It better be longer or 43 minutes long. Oh, next week's episode better be they good need... is what I'm what I'm thinking. Yeah, it better be good. But I, I don't know how it can be do all the things that it needs to do in 43 yeah, minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although they've told a lot of stories that in 43 minutes that didn't need to be told in 43 minutes. So. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if they stick the landing next week, if it's like super solid episode, mm-hmm. then I, then I'll view the whole season really favorable. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a great yeah. season with a few yeah. kind of slow episodes yeah, yeah. in the second Same. half. But if they if they don't stick the landing or if it sucks, then you know it's then I'll view it as being a mediocre season. Yeah. And surely it's not going to. We had six. Uh, we had six. I think really strong episodes as far as I'm concerned, and then kind of things started to get a little wibbly wobbly. Mm-hmm. But we'll mm-hmm. see how things go. Um. All right. Well, let's let's do our strange new ratings. Which of you wants to stick your neck out and give hide and seek a rating? I'm going to go ahead and go first. I'm going to give it a four out of five. I know I've given that for most of the episodes of Picard, but I liked this episode so much more than the previous two episodes. And I feel like it kind of somewhat redeemed some of the things I didn't like about the previous episodes or at least fleshed out enough. And it left me excited about what's coming next week. Like I'm really curious to see how they're going to wrap all this up. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'll give it a seven. Um, it, I think it was fine. I mean, I did feel that real jeopardy during the action scenes. I thought that was pretty well done. It advanced the plot okay. I do feel like the Picard um, flashbacks and stuff. I don't. I don't think it was that well executed, but I do think it added some depth to Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was like a total waste of time. So yeah, I'll, I'll give it a seven. All right, I'm going to give this a six and a half, and I'm kind of sticking very strongly to my like rewatchability threshold because I think this is not one that I would necessarily want to put on again because I don't think it was substantial enough. I don't think it was objectionable as an episode. I just didn't think it had enough that would make me want to come back to it to be like, okay, I want to watch this again uh, for some particular reason. So, all right. Well, with that, Emily, Bill, thanks for making it today and chatting. It's been nice to have a one-on-one with me and another person last two episodes, but this has been nice to have a little bit of you know, discussion <laughs> amongst a group of people. So thanks for, thanks for talking about this episode. Yeah. Thanks, Notch. Of course. Nice. Thank you, Adam, Rudy, Max, and Dinah. Hope it, whatever it is y'all are doing today, y'all are having a great time. Uh, and thank you, dear listener, for making us a part of your week once again. We do appreciate that you take time to listen to our podcast. And special thanks to Jishnu Guha for uh, recording our theme music. We always appreciate hearing him strum away at the guitar. And special thanks this week to the guys who manufactured the laser sights on those guns. You know, they were really reliable. If they'd like fizzled out or like broken or like had some reliability or the batteries would have ended really quickly. All of this would have gone really poorly for our heroes, but the sights worked, they were really reliable. So it was really good for our characters. They survived, they could tell where the enemies were the whole time. (laughs) All right, thanks everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.